0: Lord, just for a moment before your presence, we bring your daughter, our sister, Nikki, before thy presence. We bring your son, our brother, Ken, before thy presence. We are appreciative of the fact that we know that no hurt goes without you feeling the pain that we incur. And so at this moment, we pray in return for the supply of your grace and mercy, which you promised would be sufficient in the moment of deficiency. And so, God, would you undergird both of them as their spirits are now agitated by trouble. But we know you have power to calm the raging sea. so, whenever manner you see fit to speak peace in that context, so do it, and we will be careful to give you the glory and honor, for we recognize all things come from you. In the name of Jesus we pray, Amen. Song of Solomon chapter one. I wanna take just a bit of a detour that I did this morning at eight o'clock and really just deal with verse five and six for a moment as I considered the connection when I read this text again, upstairs between services and how it spoke something different to me in a different context. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse five and six. I'm reading from the New International Version and we come upon these words. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Amen. You may be seated. On last Thursday, we celebrated in the church, or better said, participated in what was known as the National Day of Prayer. And on the way home, I kept wrestling with the question that was posed across the country. Why does America need to pray? What, what really are reasons why we really need to pray. And through the course of this week, I began to read a book that I had picked up some years ago because it had reference to the text that I've read early here in the Song of Solomon chapter 1. And my mind began to run back to several things. Uh, A primary reason which unfortunately still has life. It is still alive and well, and I I hate to be one that appears to be pessimistic, but just from what I can see right now, I see no change in in it, and that is that we as a nation need to pray because we are still dealing with an old sin that just will not go away. It's the sin of racism. It's the color issue. As the Bois said in the 20th century that the problem we will have is what will we do with the color issue? And the problem deepened for me when I read this text because the woman in the text is actually asking the observers, please don't judge me by the color of my skin. And because the sun has darkened my complexion, that doesn't define me the color that I have. And I said, yet, it's still a painful conversation because unfortunately, in the one context, when I thought last Thursday, in the one context in which we ought to have the conversation, we refuse to talk about racism, we refuse to talk about color, and that's in the church. Because we have been sold a utopian idea that we will all harmoniously somehow, some way, be one on this side of heaven. And I disagree with that because clearly, since the beginning of time, since the birth of the church... We have been wrestling with color slash ethnic issues and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It was heightened for me this week because when I read the story of a black woman down in Alabama who was once again assaulted by a law enforcement officer merely because of the color of her skin. It ran back to my mind to go back to the day of the early 20th century, the latter post reconstruction and then early 20th century when we really have now just another form of lynching. We once saw bodies hanging from a tree only because of the color of the skin. We participate and we are recipients of segregation, Jim Crow, only because the color of my skin. We fought through Jim Crow, we came through uh, segregation, watch this, legalized segregation. You should go back and read Plessy versus Ferguson from a time and just marinate on that story for a moment. Why you got to hear a justice, a justice of the court, of the Supreme Court says that a man whose color is black has nothing in his life that another man who's white has any reason to respect. That's what Justice Robert, uh, Roger Taney said in the Plessy versus Ferguson case. He has no reason to be respected by a white man. And we don't have these conversations in church because we are so spiritual, not understanding the whole issue of racism is spiritual warfare. And we sit quietly because black folk think we are at ease in Zion. We think because we can sit beside somebody who's Caucasian that we've arrived at equality. Well, might I remind you that the killing of unarmed black men is still equated to the killing of an unarmed black man hanging from the tree. The only difference is now we have legalized justification. Tell me the last time you heard of a law enforcement officer who was actually held accountable for killing a man unarmed because of the color of his skin wouldn't have a problem with arguing at the point if you said the man broke the law, but the problem is other folk break the law and they are not lying in the morgue for the color of their skin. And we remain silent in the church, praying that God would heal our racial difference. Well. Theologically, we got two problems. One, now we're either going to have to go back to God and tell God, you're responsible for our difference because you made us different. And so if that's the case, then you are the impetus of our racial difference. Now, Christian folk in the West ain't going to do that because God is omniscient God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent and therefore God can't make a mistake. Where if we're not going there, then who are we going to lay the blame at in terms of our racial difference and the color of our skin being the issue of our malady? If it ain't God, who? Is it ourselves? Because if it's ourselves, then we're going to have to come back and ask ourselves the question, why do we still tolerate what we have tolerated since our beginning in America? We're not going to do that. And the lady of this text is merely arguing as an opening statement, please don't look at my blackness we are once again rattled by the suggestion of Martin King. My prayer says Martin is that someday my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Here we are, morning of the 21st century, year 2018, And we are still, as a people who have a dark-colored hue, are judged by the color of our skin. We are in such state because rooted deeply in the veins of America is the issue of white supremacy, which contends that those of Caucasian descendancy is a superior race given by God, and those of the dark Hermedian hue are meant to be nothing more than hewers of wood who are inferior. And to help that become more grain, ingrained in America, you have the onslaught of Darwinism that suggested that the evolutionary process deemed the man of the darker hue, negroing as some call us, of African hue, that you are born to be a slave. Then there's the idea of the size of the cranium and you can tell that one race is large or should I say more superior than the other because the brain is larger and the brain is smaller. And we still can't, with what we think is evolutionary evidence, we still can't resolve the racial problem. And this woman cries out, if you're going to look at me, please look at me not based on the color of my skin. I equate the police killings now to nothing more than legalized lynching. That's all it really is. And if you notice, it will perpetuate. It is also nothing more than a reinstitution of Rome's decision to make sure that the crucifixion sends the message, you don't mess with the empirical power. It's the same idea now, the intimidation, and we talk about if someone says or someone carries the smallest hint that they may be tied to a terrorist group, we now in America are quick to run and to make sure they are either incarcerated or expelled from the country, and yet we won't deal with internal terrorism. And in church every Sunday, we preach about Jesus. We tell the story about God's loving grace. And yet there are those who sit in seats of power in every one of our churches across the country who has the authority, who has the power and the persuasion to make a difference and who will not do so because it will disturb the status quo. We don't want to shake the boat... (laughs) We don't want to have equality because someone's afraid that they will lose something of what they have. If you live in a nation that has more than enough, and it already has been statistically declared that America has so much that, in fact, what we throw away would feed "quote unquote" third world countries. Whatever that means, I do not know. And yet, we are afraid of equal. it's ingrained. In the veins of this country, to never have equality, particularly of those who have African descent. Hold them hostage as slaves. You can't do it legally anymore because of the Constitution. So now we, well, we can't hold them as legal slaves, but we can hold them as other kinds of slaves, Attic slaves. Economic slaves, employment slaves. We can utilize mechanisms to make sure that they may come up to the ceiling, but they'll never break through the ceiling. And this woman says, although I have been kissed by the sun to be dark, please don't look on me and judge me as a result of that. And here it is, an innocent but yet profound statement, I cannot help that I'm black. Neither can you. And even worse, those of you who are white with us, you cannot help that you are Caucasian, whatever your descendancy is. You were created. In fact, none of us had any input as to how we were going to look, what color we were going to be, what race we were going to be, what sex we were going to No input at all. We just recognized one day we were who we are and it is what it is. What this woman says to us right here in the text, in verse 5 and 6, as she looks at the other ladies who are gathered in the tent who arguably were light-skinned. Now, I raised a point this morning, could this sister be raising the question for those of us of African descent and who are dark-skinned? We really need to deal with our light-dark issue and not try to leave it to somebody else to deal with because they're not the ones who are actually trying to deal with it. It is an issue for us. Because those of us who are darker have an issue with those who are lighter, and those who are lighter have an issue with those who are darker. And if you're not careful, it leads to a mode of self-destruction. But here it is. She looks at them and says, I may be darker than you are, but look at verse 5 again. She says, I am dark, as dark as I am, but I'm lovely. I'm good looking. I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful, not only just exteriorly wise, but interiorly. I'm gorgeous. And I'm trying to raise our consciousness. I'm almost done. I just want to raise our consciousness about something. And that is, we have got to stop thinking we can sweep under the rug what's alive and well, not just out there, but in the church. Religious racism. Because those who give us the various Components to help us understand the Bible has given us interpretations that reinforce racial difference. Read through the Bible, you'll discover that it's amazingly, uh, they advocate whatever is black has reference to darkness and whatever is light has reference to light. Not realizing that you can read through the Bible even more and discover that blackness happens to be a mode of deliverance. And light happens to be a mode of curse. For example, when you talk about darkness, it's God who worked in the night of darkness in delivering Israel by giving them the Passover. It's God in the New Testament who worked through the night of dark when you find Jesus not being resurrected during the day, but early on Sunday morning the first day of the week, while the light has not yet come to pass. And yet you find white in the text has reference to do with leprosy, which means that you are cursed and you are actually ostracized as well as segregated from culture because your sin issue is contagious. And yet we learn through history that folk use color to keep people segregated. Watch this. Color can be used as a sign. Uh, We have the example of that by noticing that a green light at the traffic signal indicates what? We are to go. A red light indicates we are to stop. And a yellow cautionary light says, approach with caution, being prepared to stop, not run through like we normally do but you need to be prepared to stop but that's a sign but watch this color also can be used as a symbol for example a black color is seen in the West in America as connoting evil sin ignorance such that those who are possessed of black or dark skin participate in the reality which the color symbolizes, hence in evil, sin, and ignorance. Conversely, white as a symbol connotes goodness, salvation, beauty, and other positive values such as those possessed of fair or white skins participate in positive values. Have you noticed when you look up black in the the dictionary, what does it say? Dirt, darkness, evil, white, light, angels. When the last time you seen, quote unquote, the European presentation of Jesus, you find this blue eyed, blonde hair, uh, Jesus, if you talk about heaven, sitting on the throne, surrounded by blonde and brunette angels. You see the reinstituting of, Of whiteness over darkness I know it's deep and I know it's troubling but it's a reality face it deal with it it works in the undercurrent of where we work every single day whether you want to admit it or not it's at work in full force and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and it's pushing further and further and faster. And fa- all find its roots, I would argue, to some degree back to Greek mythology. Uh, if you start reading about the Greek mythology, particularly about uh, symbolism in Greek literature, you'll discover that black always meant evil and dark. I'm thinking about Euripides who writes within the writing of Euripides how the darkness of an individual is evil destined for hell. And I'm thinking about the uh, Homer's Odyssey in which he likewise talked about how darkness in the text is applied to blackness. And yet, when you read in scripture, God is doing the reversal that the dark is not as du- the black is not as dark as you think it is, and the white is not as angelic as you think it is. And here, this sister saying, "My brothers have judged me based on the color of my skin. They have relegated me to take care of the vineyards, and as a result, I end up not taking care of myself." There it is, right there in verse six. And why would her brothers do that? Because the sun made her dark. And because even in pre Christ B.C., dark was considered evil. And how do we rescue ourselves from this evil? And how do we rescue ourselves from a church that perpetuates blackness as second class citizenship? Well, since I had already figured out when I was up in the study that you won't get no amens at all from this (laughs) sermon right here. So I might as well go and close it out (laughs) and share with you an interesting note by Howard Thurman. Thurman says, in a religion such as Christianity, the image of God in the minds of many Christians is that a kindly benevolent, be whiskered white man sitting on a white throne, surrounded by his angels, stand ready to serve him in praises or messengers. On the other hand, the devil is the prince of darkness, while the imps of the devil are black. Hence, the phrase "black as an imp" is used by us to describe some people's particular behavior. White is used to express the pure, while black expresses the diabolical. This is in church. This is Christianity scholars who contend what blackness means. The conflict between Christ and Satan, the spiritual and the carnal, the good and evil, came finally to be expressed by the conflict between white and black, which underlines and synthesizes all others, even the blind who know only night, think of a swarm of angels or devils in associating with white and black. For example, a black soul or the blackness of an action or a black deed, the innocent whiteness of lily, the candor of a child. These aren't just mere adjectives and nouns. In fact, whiteness brings to mind light, ascension into the bright realm, the immaculateness of the virgin snow, the white dove at the Holy Spirit, the transparency of the lipid air. Blackness suggests infernal streams of the bowels of the earth, the pit of hell, and the devil's color. And this is in church. And we want to know why we can't gain the millennials is because they grew up with a different kind of approach to humanity and they have learned not to dehumane who we are, each other, but to find a way to enhance and grow and develop and we are still dealing with the same old issue. Racism. And I argue that it's, it's primarily bent Toward to be facilitated toward those of African descent because, listen, I don't like the idea, I sort of borrowed this from the sociologist Roger Besties who's a French sociologist who says you have to be careful when you listen to people say people of color. because they don't mean people of color. You can't include all minorities because all minorities have not experienced the same level of discrimination of those as African descent. Check your history. Only one group of people who were brought here purposely to enslave, just just Africans. You had others that came later, but just Africans and who were perpetuated and participated in legalized slavery. And you can't tell me that there is not an active ideology of racism in place now. Every other minority can come to this country and can get themselves off the ground and have been given opportunities by money from the government to do it, and yet when you go plow for a loan with your black self, you're denied. It doesn't take a Ph.D. in physics to figure that out. So, let me lay to rest. Your question of what does this have to do with this text. I am grateful, oh, I am so grateful for James H. Evans, Jr. and Melanie May Dugois. They were two teachers who taught me at Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School how to look at a scripture from several different lenses instead of what I was taught at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to see Bible one way, a tunneled vision. And there's only one way to define The text and I came upon this Text and I said to myself in between services There's another way to look at this Other than just the relationship Between a man and a woman in love with one another And I saw it when I heard her say Please don't look at me in my Blackness don't judge me in my blackness Don't make don't try to make sure That my blackness prohibits me from Getting to where I need to be She is arguing whatever you Do look at my character And the content of who I on the inside and not what you see on the outside and we still have that same request I'm just here to tell you we gotta stop laying back in our comfortable couches and we gotta put on our warrior armor and we gotta fight again just like we did in the 60's this idea of killing black people because they're black, that means war. And until we take an attitude that we need to respond with the same aggression, the killings will only increase. In fact, I would argue that it will not only increase, but I will take the position of Jawanza Kanjufu, it will come down to lower young black men smaller boys because you got to kill the seed once you kill the seed listen we need to learn to understand the importance and the contribution of our Jewish brothers and sisters because our plight in America is almost equally the same if you look at the Holocaust which they refuse to forget hallelujah They've refused to forget it because they believe if they ever allow it to slip from their minds, it will reappear again. Whereas African Americans want to put slavery as far as they can away from their mind. Not realizing that if you forget that, they have already systematically made sure because of the systemic nature of what it does, it continues in a different mode. But the Holocaust and slavery are compatible on two levels. Number one, there was the effort to try to dehumanize who you were. So the concentration camps, the stripping of men and women before one another and children that they may see the nakedness of each other and to make them feel like less than human beings, nothing more than by the Nazi regime dehumanize Jewish brothers and sisters. The stripping of clothing while putting my black brother and sister on the auction block and removing their children and their husband and their fathers and their husbands and their mothers and wives from them that they might separate the family, dehumanize them. The branding on my Jewish brothers and sisters and the branding on African slaves dehumanized them to nothing more than cattle. That's the reason why I became a Q, and they try to brand me. I told them, "This is one time you'll see a black preacher act like a fool up in here. You come trying to brand me, we gonna fight. Why would I want to brand my flesh? That's a sign of slavery." All my brothers and sisters that accuse—my brothers, rather—that accuse. I'm sorry, but that is what it is. I think the Omega, I mean the Alphas got most sense, and the Kappa's got most sense to do something that's ridiculous. But the book of Deuteronomy says you're not to brand your skin. So there's an effort to dehumanize us. Watch this. Secondly, there's an effort to genocide us. And the concentration camps were meant to genocide us. Six million and they did Jews. And that's only what we know. And they say that we've lost more than that in slavery. I don't know, but it, an effort was to make sure that you genocide so that there's only a few left to continue the hewing of wood. And this sister says, please don't judge me by my color. Yes, I'm dark, but I'm lovely, I'm proud of my darkness. And I close by saying I'm mighty sad that African Americans are sad and are ashamed of your blackness. I was in seminary, we were in class one day talking about church and I didn't raise the issue, they raised the issue. And so for me, you know, you raise a theological issue and I disagree with you, I'm gonna tell you about it. So they raise the issue, why do we call, to me, why do you call your church the black church? And I said, well, here's a simplistic reason. Now I'm not gonna give you the deep reason because your mind can't handle it, but I'm gonna give you the simplistic (laughs) reason. The simplistic reason is I'm a minority And so I can be identified by that minority identity. You're the majority, so you don't have to call your church the white church, because everybody already knows it's the white church. It's the majority. And as a result of that, for example, I was asked, why do we study black theology? Well, why do I have to study white theology? Why in some area do I have to study all white theologians? Why can't I study James Clone? Why can't I study Albert Cleege? Why can't I study Dwight Hopkins? Why can't I study Dolores Williams? Why can't I study black theologians? Where there's no such thing as black theology and white theology, it isn't. Because when I read in terms of interpretation, that's all interpreted by white theologians. Why can't I read uh, Miguel de la Torre, who's a Hispanic brother? Why can't I read about Star, who's a Peruvian theologian? Why can't I read about uh, 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 a Toussaint Ku, who is a Korean theologian? Why can't I read about different theologians other than white theologians? No, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. See? Because you'll say that because you're the majority. And my issue is we participate in the oppression that we experience because we won't gain the backbone to stand up and tell white oppression enough is enough. So we don't have any more Martin Kings we don't have any more Fannie Lou Hamers we don't have any more Ida B. Wells uh, we don't have any more Stokey Carmichael's they are all in their graves and I would argue as my grandma would say probably turning over yeah. watching us yes. with no backbone to stand against injustice yep. maybe we need some Nat Turners and some Gabriel Brosas who will shoot back at the police I know somebody is saying with your Christian minds you don't fight violence with violence well tell me why then were we willing to go to war with the Koreans because he threatened that he would have a nuclear weapon see don't get religious on me when you talk about social issues that affect the extension of humanity don't you get religious on me you take a stand for what is right and remember be practical this is what they have sold us in white theology, all about heaven. Don't worry about what you're gonna get here. Just work till so you can get your reward. God will fix it all in heaven. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I don't wanna wait till I get to heaven. I want my mansion now. You ain't got to say amen. I know you. Look, you, you do too, but you're too ashamed or afraid to say it because you don't want anybody to know you think like that. But I want my rewards now. Whatever's in heaven is going to be there when I get there, but I'm talking about what's here now. I want my justice now. I want my equality now. What I want to wait to heaven for to be equal? Well, I'm going to tell you why. When I get to heaven, I don't have any need for equality because it's a place of Perfection. What do I need equality for there? It's already there. I need it in a context where I don't see equality and let me know how equality looks in this context. Heaven's got a mansion. That's great. I mean, I want mine. I hope mine got customized windows in it because I like to look out. (laughs) But I also want mine here. When I get to heaven, I can't pass anything on. And that's why I love my blackness. I'm not ashamed of it. I'll preach it from this pulpit. Don't care who hears me. And I'm going to tell you why. When you water down the gospel to be accommodating to people, you are doing nothing more than being hypocritical. And you're not doing as Jesus did. need to go back and read Matthew 23 and 24 where Jesus called them right into their face. You are a hypocrite don't whitewash things you say something out here but your heart is far from me so my my sermon question was do you see what I see and what I see in this woman is strength affirmation attraction assertiveness and every dark person in this room that's what you better grasp she was arguing I'm not going to let someone else define me by my color but I'm going to determine that I am defined by who I say that I am Proverbs 19 as a man thinketh in his heart so is he Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, for indeed you are our strength and our redeemer.